0: What's up, it's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is
1: Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now.
2: This is ESPN 1000,
3: Chicago's home for sports.
0: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood, or on Instagram, IG hood. We'll talk UFC 251. That comes your way with Ray Flores at 835 right here on ESPN 1000. And now it is time, as we do every night at 8 o'clock, we give you something football. How about the summer of football? The summer of football. All you
1: can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On
0: ESPN
1: 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Blushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw to score. You run to win. And here's Quad Buckley. And he's off to the races. The 30. The 20. Quad for six. The summer of football, at eight. Oh, no.
0: Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Oh, my. to Armstrong. Run. Book four.
1: He's got time? Launching for the end zone, Jump, touchdown! Terrence Marshall. The summer of football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah,
0: that's my dog.
1: On Chicago's home for sports, ESPN One Thousand and the
0: ESPN Chicago app. Indeed, it is time for the summer of football. Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN. Chicago app as we talked about in our first hour in our seven o'clock hour just to try to figure out what the fall schedule looks like for football right as far as the NFL I haven't seen a concrete plan of what they're going to be able to do in a contact sport same thing with college football you know things have changed with college football because we're used to having a full complement of the games, a full schedule. And so now some of the power five conferences are going to shrink their schedule to just conference games. Now, as a college football fan, that's a win for me because now you take away the fluff, you get head to head conference play. And boy, if we got that every year, but nonetheless, we're going to have conference play at least in the PAC 12 and the big 10. But what about some of these other conferences? So, Jeff Dickerson and I got a chance to talk to Barrett Jones, uh, an ESPN college football analyst, uh, former Alabama Crimson Tide player, former Chicago Bear. And we talked to Barrett about a number of things regarding what could be for the upcoming college football season.
4: You know, when you see the Big Ten and the Pac-12 say they're going to have these conference-only schedules, do you think that's something that perhaps the SEC... And the Big Twelve and some other conferences might eventually adapt.
5: Well, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, I, I would say uh, first of all, I was a little frustrated, uh, and I think a lot of college football fans were, and even maybe some other ads. That it, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of a unified front with college football, right? I mean, I, I kind of expected all the people to get together and say, uh, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do conference only." And there wasn't any of that. Uh, there was no leadership. There was no one taking over. And so you know, I, from what I saw based on a lot of the comments and kind of reading between the lines, I think a lot of the ADs were very surprised by the Big Ten's announcement uh, that they were doing conference only. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, look, I, I obviously want, let's say this the players, but I, I, I guess uh, as a very amateur and a guy who you know is not an epidemiologist who knows a lot about coronavirus, I guess I don't really understand fully – uh, what's a whole lot different uh, about, you know, traveling 500 miles versus uh, 1,000 miles maybe, you know, because a lot of these conferences have pretty wide footprints, uh, you know, so I, I don't really get it fully. Uh, but, I, I, again, you know, it's, it's, we're still kind of digesting it and understanding what's happening here, uh, you know, and, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, we need to start the season in October or, or, or maybe even we need to start the season in the spring. Uh, but, uh, again, I just don't really understand what's going to be different uh, in the spring or in October uh, than it is right now. So uh, they got to come up with a plan. And, again, I, I think unified leadership will be very important down the road if we want to have a season.
0: So, Barrett, you feel that the Big Ten, with their announcement, and the Pac-12 is a little bit premature. Did you Do you prefer the Big 12 SEC-ACC model of waiting as we get closer to the season to find out what to do?
5: Well, look, I, I just think it's fine if they do it. Uh, I, I was just a little surprised that maybe all Power Five conferences didn't get together. I mean, there's just so much money involved, and obviously, uh, essentially, those Power Five make up the CFP and the power structure of what college football is. And so, you know, I, I was reading Joe that the AD at Oklahoma's comments, and he said he was surprised to see the Big Ten announce what it is. And I, I know these people are talking every day. So I guess I, I was kind of expecting that they would all come out as one and say – you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to all play conference games. But obviously at some point that broke down. So, you know, I, I guess I'm just disappointed. You know, I, I think the NFL in some ways has benefited because uh, they've had obviously a unified voice in Roger Goodell who says, here's what we're doing. Uh, and and I, obviously in the past there's been criticism because of that. But I think in this situation, that's a big benefit because there's kind of one voice to really determine what the path is. And, I think college football is really struggling in some ways right now, at least in the public forum, because there's not really, you know, one overarching voice that declares what the path is and, and really what the plan is.
4: Barrett-Jones is with us. We were talking, to Barrett. I mean, let's say you have, like, Ohio State play, just for an example, like eight games, but, like, let's say the SEC doesn't have a conference-only schedule, and those teams end up playing, you know, 11, 12 games. Wouldn't that complicate things in terms of, you know who makes the college football playoffs, and how you rank teams based on the number of games they're uh, playing.
5: There's no doubt. I mean, it. it I, I again, I mean, the CFP has kind of said like, "Hey, we're having a CFP." You know, uh, no matter who's involved, and again, it just kind of exemplifies that there's just so many power structures a part of this. Whether it's the NCAA, whether it's you know the, the five Power Five conference commissioners, uh, or whether it's the CFP, you really have just so many. Uh, different people that are in charge of those different bodies that are really not communicating with each other. And so uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what it'll look like. I, I still am pretty optimistic that we'll have a season. You know, I, I feel like about probably a month ago, there was probably over optimism where everyone was saying, we're going to play for sure. Uh, and now I feel like, uh, if this is the word, I feel like there's under optimism just because there's been some spikes. I feel like people are saying, uh, oh, we're definitely not going to play. Uh, I still am somewhere in the middle of that. I think we're going to play. I think we'll play some games. Uh, But, again, I I just would like to see some kind of unified effort based on uh, what we think is going to happen and kind of everyone get together and saying, hey, here's the plan. Here's what I think we should do.
0: Barrett, what's a better job for you for the future, commissioner of the Power Five or commissioner
5: of college football overall? (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess that's that there's a, that's a really complicated answer, uh, but I would probably <laughs> say Commissioner of the Power Five because I do think, particularly if this name, image, and likeness thing passes, which obviously it's going to, uh, I, I think in, in probably the next 10 years we'll see the Power Five break off in football. So that's a whole nother, uh can of worms. But if you're going to ask me where I think more money is, I'm going to say the Commissioner of College Football one day will be uh, over all the rest of the conferences and the commission of the power five will be o- over only the power five so that that would be my guess but again there's a whole lot more explanation that goes into that
4: barrett what was your reaction to the ivy league canceling all fall sports i mean i know they've they've got look they've got the money God, that knows what that tuition is to go to an ivy league school so i mean i'm sure that financially they can maybe withstand this for another season but to cancel all of your fall sports um in early july what was your reaction when you saw that
5: yeah, I mean, I, I, look. First of all, I mean, uh, I, I saw that they were going to go all online, and you know, you just have to pay fifty grand to go to Harvard and, and take online classes. I, I'm, I'm not obviously, I'm past college days, but it's hard for me to imagine going to Harvard and paying fifty grand a year to take online classes. Um, you know, I uh, I was a little surprised, but also, uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, which is my purview as college football, I really, honestly, don't think people like Greg Sankey and Larry Scott and company I don't really think they pay a whole lot of attention to what the Ivy League does I know that's uh, been a big thing in the media but uh, I'm just not sure that those guys really care a whole lot just because it's a whole different business model uh, as far as as what the Ivy League is is actually up to and you know and what they're doing I mean if there's any frustration I have for the Power 5 I just I, I feel like uh this whole time we've really had a lot of time right to deal with coronavirus and now it almost feels like there's almost a scramble right there's a scramble to figure out what's going on what the plan is and i just don't really fully understand what we've been doing this whole time i feel like we could have been scrambling you know since march and and kind of getting a plan i mean it we almost seemed surprised when players started testing positive for coronavirus i mean that was you know if you you looked at the numbers that should not have really been a surprise but yet Everyone seemed caught off guard, and, and yet we've still just kind of been scrambling and almost playing catch-up versus kind of getting out in front of everything and really having a, a plan of action to move forward.
0: Barrett, now that we have crowned you the commissioner of the Power Five, uh, we want you to be able to <laughs> jump in on this. Because, you know, it, here, here's, here's some real questions about what we could see. if If all the Power Five conferences decide to go conference-only, uh, I think that's a win for me as a college football fan because it gets away from the fluff. Even though you know, I feel bad for the non-power five teams that uh, will not probably won't get fully paid. Maybe they get some kind of stipend out of this. But the point is, is that without the fluff, it's it's head to head conference play. Okay, so in this era of experiment, we see this in Major League Baseball, other sports experimenting things. What does the college football playoff look like? From the Power Five standpoint, are we still going to go at four? Does it expand to eight? How how's that look?
5: Well, I, I do agree that I think it, in some ways it could accelerate that movement because I do think uh, just based on the trend right now, it's it, you know it seems like it will be only conference schedules, uh, and then obviously some will be left out. Like I have said that all along. Like it's it's an imperfect system uh, from the fact that you you know you have five Power Five conferences that are investing a lot of money in the CFP. And you, you only have four spots. Uh, as much as I love the 14 playoff, because, again, I'm a big proponent because I was a player and I, I don't really want to continue adding extra games. And I, I love the fact that there's buzz at the end of the season about who that number four team is. And I don't think there'll be the same buzz regarding who the number eight, to eight team is. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, there's just too much money involved. So I, I do think that in some ways that there's an all-conference schedule. There'll be a lot of uproar. Uh, when the Pac-12, excuse me, I mean, when someone is left out this year. <laughs>
0: you know we're listening. You know we're live, right,
5: Barrett? No, I, I do know. I, I said that on purpose. Uh, and, then,
4: and then, Barrett, before I let you go, Notre Dame, being an independent, I know they have so many games against ACC schools on their schedule. Ultimately, if the conference-only policy gets put into play here, do they just join the ACC?
5: I think that for this season, yes. I mean, Jack Swarbrick's a pretty crafty guy, so uh, I would not expect Notre Dame to be left out in the cold. There's just too much money with that NBC contract they have television-wise. So, yeah, I I think the most logical move is just a one-year contract with the ACC to play an all-ACC schedule uh, and to get involved. But that's a great question. and that's been kind of a hot topic, but I I don't really uh, expect that to be a huge issue regarding the season
0: and under your leadership as commissioner of the power 5 you're telling <laughs> you're telling the irish either in or out pal isn't that what you're saying you're telling like look stop with the independent find a conference right is that is that is, is that under your jurisdiction uh, is that under your administration is that what you're going to say you know i
5: i'm, I'm not quite ready to make that move I, I i'm not as worked up about that as some people are i know people get worked up about notre dame not being in a conference but uh, you know they do play a pretty competitive schedule obviously it's a pretty unique situation where it really hurts them uh, to not be in a conference, uh, and there have been times, obviously in the past, where uh, it's hurt them obviously to to not have a conference championship game on that last weekend of the year. Uh, I would like to see them eventually join a conference. ACC obviously makes the most sense, uh, but uh, you know, uh, it, again, it's worked out for them for the most part. So uh, I'm not ready as, as the conference commissioner. You know, I'm going to let the uh, I'm going to still allow the conferences to have a lot of power, and I'm not going to mandate things. You know, very similar to. Uh, how if I was the president of the United States, I would I would go with the states' half power. So that's that's a whole other conversation that I, I'd be glad to get into if we have a longer segment.
4: <laughs> You're a very fair ruler. I like that a lot, Barrett. Thank you.
5: Hey, thanks, guys. I hope we have a season. I uh, I really do. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see the way it plays out. Thanks for having me on. This is Under with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN
1: One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Good
0: to hear from Barrett-Jones get his perspective on the college football season that should be a lot of what there are more questions than answers i know that in my position i'm supposed to give you answers uh i don't do hot takes so um, i'm a guy who just is like you i'm no different than you i just um am not at a bar with a beer in my hand because i would be doing the same thing talking sports with you at the bar but i just happen to have a mic in my hand instead of a beer and um and so (laughs) A lot of more, more questions than answers. Like, what does the college football playoff look like? Hey, like, What does bowl season look like in the face of COVID-19? Again, more questions than answers. Same thing in the NFL season. Uh, some NFL news and notes for you for our summer of football right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app with me, Jonathan Hood. Deshaun Jackson, and I know the name is polarizing for many reasons because of what happened just as of late. So Deshaun Jackson accepted an invitation to visit the Auschwitz um, during a Zoom call Friday with a 94-year-old survivor of the Nazi concentration camp. So the wide receiver was disciplined by the Philadelphia Eagles on Friday for a conduct detrimental to the team for a social media post which included an anti-Semitic message that he attributed to Adolf Hitler. Jackson was fined. According to Tim McManus from ESPN, the wide receiver also intends to donate a significant amount to the Jewish community efforts. Um, Jackson, who apologized for his post last week, was on a call with Edward Mossberg, a survivor of the Holocaust, who was dressed in his concentration camp uniform. And um, there's pictures of this uh, on ESPN.com. So there is uh, Jackson talking to a Holocaust survivor. Now, I understand that in 2020, an apology is not enough. You can apologize and say that, you know, I, I should have been able to research this a little bit more, but I know that this is the era where you just drag people just to drag people. And as long as there's social media, it will always last forever, right? Well, there's a distinct difference between what Jackson's doing, trying to learn more about the Jewish faith and learning more about the Holocaust, Beyond the post that he put up there on social media, he's learning more and being able to talk to people. And I don't know if he's doing it because he has to or because he wants to. But the point is, is that he's there. He is not resisting the opportunity to learn more. And I know that's going to be lost in the news because, you know, the focus is, it's like, wow, look how he just went against the Jews like that. He just, he quoted Hitler. What's what's up with him? This guy, is he going to be with the team for the long haul? All that stuff, right? I will give Deshaun Jackson. I talked about this at the time. I said that my feeling, initial reaction on the air about this was Deshaun Jackson, you're a wide receiver with the Eagles. You are... A great player, you're someone that's in the public eye. Why put this on your social media? Why set yourself up from a social media standpoint by doing this? Because you know when you post it, as soon as you hit send, it is going to be taken a lot of different ways. And the way I took it was it was ignorant, right? It's a point of view, but it's a point of view that I do not share. And so the idea that you hit send and think that you're educating people, you're not educating people. What you're doing is, is that you are separating people. And this is what we're talking about here. It's the same thing with the American flag and Kaepernick or Drew Brees or many others that have a different viewpoint of the world, a different viewpoint of America thing is, is that once you hit send, and if it's taken the wrong way, like this was taken, and it was, I thought it was taken well by the Eagles by saying, hey, this is kind of detrimental to the team. This is not right. You're putting out things out there that was attributed to Adolf Hitler, someone who was an evil person in our history. Why do this? So my whole thing comes back to why. Why would you even put yourself in that spot? But the other side of it is that Deshaun Jackson is is visiting and being a part of the Jewish community by learning more about it and talking to people about it. So now he's educated on the uh, on the scenario, uh, on the subject. So I applaud him for that. Yeah, you know, this is something that the league wanted him or, or the Eagles wanted him to do and and maybe uh, he says he wants to uh, donate a significant amount to the Jewish community efforts. That's great. Because as he goes along, he is learning more uh, from a Jewish standpoint, what Jews went through. And so that is something that is a positive in this story to me. It's one thing to screw up on social media and to put that out there and apologize. And cool, you apologized. And my whole thing is, why put yourself in that spot? You put himself in that spot. Now, how does it get better? How does it get better? He's talking to people about it and educating others probably through his education of the Jewish faith under the hood with Jonathan hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. That's the best way. That's the best course of action to me. I think that's the best way you look at it. Um, some thoughts on the bears. So Bill Simmons on the ringer podcast, got a chance to talk to Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is an NFL analyst for ESPN. She's going to be an NFL live this fall and winter. And so, it's one thing to look at the Bears in the prism of, man, they missed out on Patrick Mahomes. Man, they missed out on quarterbacks that they should have been able to look at. They should have been able to get a lot better than Trubisky. But this is how it's always going to line up this way. Mahomes is already paid. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's put up some tremendous numbers. He's not even 30 years old just as of yet. And Trubisky still is trying to find his way. But what about this offseason? The Bears had a choice to find someone, as I've mentioned a lot last year, if you listen to the show, the Bears had an opportunity to find someone to push Trubisky or beat him out of the job for 2020. I, Eric is tired of me saying that because I was saying that the whole time. Find someone to beat Trubisky out of the job or Trubisky step up when he has real competition over his shoulder. And I knew that Chase Daniel was never going to be that guy. He was a backup. Closer to being a broadcaster than an actual quarterback in this league. So the Bears had a choice of Nick Foles or Cam Newton. They went to Nick Foles. Now Nick Foles has never even played 16 games in a row before as a starter. Nick Foles, though, in a pinch, is a nice quarterback. But not really the long-term answer for the Bears. Actually, the Bears don't have a long-term answer at the position because Trubisky to me, once the season does start, he will be the quarterback. He has to lose out in the job for folds to see the field. I think that's how the season will go, but why not cam Newton? My whole thing in the spring, in the summer was wondering, is cam healthy? Is he ready to go? How's that ankle is because the cam we saw at Auburn, the cam we saw in the first four or five years of the season of his career, rather, um, was a guy that can run with the football, had a cannon for an arm, and he could do a lot of different things. The Cam that we've seen over the last couple of years is a different Cam, slower Cam, guy that was not 100% clearly, not as mobile as he once was, and I thought, well, well, maybe we're, we've seen the best of Cam and we won't see the Cam Newton that we saw as, as productive and as dynamic as he was when he first came into the league. So you pass on Cam, but the Patriots did not pass on Cam. Some thoughts now from Mina Kimes and Bill Simmons about how the Bears missed badly on Cam Newton. They got lucky with two teams
4: specifically. The Chicago Bears, it's <laughs> indefensible. It's just indefensible. You could,
3: That's you the could talk one. to
4: any Chicago fan and be like, why didn't you guys sign Cam Newton? And mm-hmm. there's no answer. The answer is basically, well, if you do that, then you got to give up on Mitch Trubisky. And then the answer is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to give up on Mitch Trubisky. That's indefensible. And then I don't know what the, f- the Chargers are doing where they're just like, yeah, Tyrod Taylor. It's like Cam Newton's much better than Tyrod Taylor.
3: What are you doing? It's not about Tyrod Taylor. They wanted Justin Herbert. What this, okay, so.
6: Yeah, but he's not going to start this year. Do you, yeah, you think they, he's starting?
3: They want him to start at some point, probably this year, because rookie quarterbacks always start, okay, year one. Okay, always, fair. always, always. And you don't want Cam Newton in that locker room. I mean, there's a number of teams are on the NFL forget the chargers. I think you're right that they're the most obvious choice because they're a really good team otherwise and should compete, but there's a number of teams with rookie quarterbacks, quarterbacks on rookie contracts who should like Cam Newton is better than their quarterbacks, but they don't want their rookie quarterback to lose the competition. People always forget how often this happens in the NFL, that it's not a real meritocracy. So once the chargers decided we're going to take a guy, we're going to take Justin Herbert, Cam Newton was never an option. You cannot have Cam Newton in any locker room. Where a quarterback has questions around him, because mm. the team's going to rally around him immediately. He is that type of guy.
4: Yeah. What is there any other teams you think blew it?
3: Chicago's the worst one.
4: Um, the I mean, Chicago like- thing. I actually feel bad for the Bears fans because the <laughs> the quarterback position has, you know, been a sore spot for decades. And it's just funny that this was such an obvious win every
0: possible way, and they just missed it.
3: He would have looked great, too, like in a Bears jersey, I thought.
0: So Bill Simmons and Mina Kimes talking about the Bears. Okay, Eric, let's see and I talk about this just briefly, because we got to get to Ray coming up next on uh, on UFC 251. So as, as much as, as you and I have talked about the Bears as far as this off season. I I never had Cam on my radar as a bear because that's not what the the Bears do. I I don't think the Bears looked at Cam Newton as a candidate number one. They want to have someone that would not intimidate Trubisky in the job, right? Cam's a big personality. Cam has has had a lot more. Um, he's he's accomplished a lot more than Trubisky has. And you think about it, you'd roll Cam Newton into Lake Forest that looks like the starter. If he's healthy, he is the starter. And I just think that the Bears just settled for less, saying that, well, Foles is good off the bench. Let these two, quote-unquote, you know, compete. Trubisky is going to win. And if he falters, we got Foles, who's really good in the pinch. But if you roll uh, Cam Newton into House Hall, dude, there's no question he's a starter as soon as he
6: steps in the building. Not only talent-wise, just looking at him-wise, but the way... Teammates always rally around Cam. Everyone, like his teams, love him. Auburn, his team rallied around him. In Carolina, they loved him as a teammate. So, it, it, if he walks in, you're absolutely right. Immediately, that defense wants Cam to be their quarterback. Immediately, Allen Robinson is looking at Cam, and they're they're the ones running routes right now in the field, as opposed to Cam and Nikhil Harry. So, I agree that the reason I I thought Cam would be an amazing electric shot in the arm for this bears team who's never had some sort of exciting quarterback but i didn't expect it to happen for that exact reason they're afraid to just straight jump ship on trubisky
0: yeah i mean <laughs> i mean it's, it's kind of ridiculous on the new england side of things too right it's like he steps they choose him cam for a show me deal for one year of course he's a starter
6: Of course he is. You want to know how obvious he is a starter? On New England's YouTube page this morning, Mm -hmm. they released a huge Cam Newton hype video. That's right. That is not New England Patriot-like. Like, Like, Tom Brady never wanted himself in a hype video, and they come out on YouTube, and, and again, he's not named their starter, and they have this massive hype video for Cam. What do you think Stidham feels like?
0: <laughs> it's like Stidham's like, "Where's my hype video?" Yep, Absolutely. <laughs> so I like that. It's Simmons is right. Like, yeah, we've been tortured not having the franchise, you know, quality quarterback. But but the Cam piece that has never been something that I thought of as a talking point of like because I know the Bears would never do that. The personality's too big. The, the resume's too big. He just he he would. They would completely put Trubisky in a hole if Cam Newton came in here with, you know, all the colors and the strength and just like the swagger and just like, nah, that doesn't work. Is that the better move? Yeah, it it would be because Trubisky would never see the field again. But no, that's how I look at it. Uh, Oh, the story about Greg Olson. Seahawks tight end Greg Olson signed a deal to be the number two NFL Uh, television analyst for Fox after he retires. So Olsen's 35, signed a one year, $7 million deal with Seattle. When he retires, he's going to go to Fox. Greg Olsen, solid uh, tight end. And, And still, you know, no matter where he's been, I think people still consider him a bear, right? He was still doing things off the field from a charity standpoint for the, in the city, in the city limits, um when he was with other teams and so i think he'll always be known as a bear so greg olson going to fox all right coming up next we'll hear from ray flores we'll get his thoughts about ufc 251 um there was some robbery that took place in abu dhabi we'll talk about that with ray and more as we move forward right here on uth
3: you're listening to under the hood
0: Get the ESPN
1: Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car? My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. <laughs> Tales from the- Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
0: Here we go. Indeed, it is a special "Tales from the Hood" right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. A huge event taking place in Abu Dhabi for Fight Island uh, UFC 251 Usman against Masvidal. To make sure that it's clear that it was a very successful event on Saturday, UFC 251 Dana White puts together a great Fight Island card with Usman and Masvidal. We talked to Ray Flores, our combat sports expert, right here on ESPN 1000. Ray, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Jonathan, always a pleasure, my man. Boy, do we have a lot to get into.
0: There's a lot. It's a lot of layers to this. So uh, just settle in, Ray, because there's a lot of questions I have. But we want to make sure that people are aware of how successful Fight Island was. Generated around $1.3 million in pay-per-view buys on ESPN+. UFC has hit the $1.3 million mark five other times, and the most recent one was Khabib against McGregor. That holds the UFC record for pay-per-view buys at $2.4 million. So I'll ask you, what drew the house? What drew the event? The main event or the idea that we had live sports on Saturday?
2: I think it was the main event. I just go, I think it shows you the drawing power of Jorge Masvidal, even though Masvidal came up short, and I know we'll get into that, but it just goes to show the star power in combat sports, Jonathan. Bottom line, people buy it for the most part for the pay per view, and the pay per view is Usman being undefeated in the octagon against Masvidal, who had had a run. That was just crazy over the past year. I think it just goes to show that the two men at the top were the one who drew a lot of the economic drawing power, more so on the challenger in Jorge Masvidal. And credit for Dana White to being able to pull it out, because I think that the addition of Masvidal, the subtraction of Gilbert Burns, probably added 400,000, if not more, buys to their pay-per-view.
0: All right, let me challenge you on that. So, with Masvidal, so we—if John Jones is at the top of this sport, right? People are so um, interested in the John Jones story. Whenever he returns, whenever he's around, whenever he's rumored, there's a spike in interest in the UFC, wondering if he's going to get back in the octagon. So, where's Masvidal amongst those, uh, some amongst the best? Because yes, he was able to get the rub from the Rock, the BMF title, all that. But where's Masvidal amongst the best in the sport?
2: I think in terms of drawing power, Jonathan, he's probably top five. He is, you know, Conor McGregor obviously is number one. You know, I look at Khabib now as becoming a major drawing power because of the rub that he got from Conor McGregor. Then you have John Jones, and then I think you have Masvidal. I even think that Masvidal might be even more of a lightning rod than John Jones because of how brash that Masvidal is. It has been... So unbelievably telling to see how quickly this guy got into the consciousness of the general American sports public. And it's just, it's mesmerizing. But Masvidal top five without a doubt.
0: Ray Flores with us here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN uh, Chicago app as we review UFC 251. Every time that you have an event, Ray, I always see if I can be able to watch you on my cable system. If I got to go online mm-hmm. or if I go on TV, I always see if I can find you calling a fight or being around a fight. So I'll ask, uh, this one thing I don't know. Have you been around MMA or boxing events with open scoring?
2: Uh, I have not. And it's that's something that I think. There's good parts to it and there's bad parts to it. So I have not been around an event that there has been open scoring.
0: Now, the reason why I ask you that question is because uh, Volkanovsky takes on Holloway. Holloway, to me, was the winner. It was close. Okay, I won't say the, that, that Volkanovsky was completely blown out of the water. I'm just saying that Holloway was the winner in that, in that bout for me. It was close, but he won the fight, and I thought that he was robbed. And, and here's where we go with the the closed scoring. It's the equivalent ray of g- a gymnastics event, right? If you're doing everything you need to do in your gymnastic events, and the scores are not given until everyone has competed, then what's the wh- then what's the point of having the gymnastics? You want to find out if you got a, a five, a six, a ten, or whatever it is as far as the scoring as soon as something's over. To me, this this fight gives. Uh, a reason why people are on the side of open scoring because there's no way to me that Volkanovski should have won that fight. It was close, but I think Holloway won it. What did you think?
2: Uh, Jonathan, I agree with you. And Dana White went ahead and said in his post by press conference that he was so disgusted by the score and the incompetence on those who had Volkanovski winning, he said likely that they will not be retained. And you may ask, how does the promoter get the opportunity to be an and oversee judges well when it comes to an island like Gaz island in abu dhabi the ufc pretty much has to police themselves because there is no athletic commission that governs that particular area because they are not used to having prize fights on a regular basis so the ufc under mark ratner who is the former head of the nevada state athletic commission they go ahead and And they choose from this pool of judges all over the world and referees who are supposed to be unbiased. And Dana White was very upset. I think that those judges need to be dealt with accordingly. And I am for open scoring. I think it'll make for more fun fights, more excitement. And I'm all about transparency when it comes to mixed martial arts and combat sports.
0: Now I know without the open scoring it it takes away from the the intrigue and like the the drama of okay who won this fight but but I I see things like this and it makes me think. Okay, I want them to reveal the cards right away after the round is done, Ray, because that's. I mean, we see this all the time in the sports that you cover. But to me, Holloway had a terrific fight. Was I thought that he was technically sound? He was waiting for Volkanovski to come in. Volkanovski, I thought was. Um, it wasn't. He wasn't panicked. But he was just trying to figure out a way to get Holloway down, how he could be able to get score on the card, and I just thought that Holloway just being solid, strong defensively, staying away from the opponent, and being able to get in when he needed to was enough to win, and that just that wasn't the case Saturday. So
2: Holloway executed the perfect game plan based on what he was able to do. I love the fact that the the goal game is to get to hit and not get hit. Holloway didn't get tagged as much to where I could say, okay, you can give Volkanovski the benefit of the doubt on the scorecards. The WBC, which is one of the sanctioning bodies in boxing, what they do with open scoring, they show the cards after the fourth, after the eighth, and then you go forward from there, then you get the end result. So I could see a case where in MMA, on world title fights, after the third round is done, then I think we can open up the scoring to have the scoring be revealed after every round may be a bit difficult because you only have a one-minute respite period. But I think after the third round in world title fights, you should be able to open up the scorecards and see where the scoring is, and then maybe after the fourth. But I think to do it after every round would be difficult from a logistic standpoint. But I do believe that open scoring needs to be across the board when it comes to world title fights in boxing and mixed martial arts.
0: You know, Ray, I'll ask you again this question, and I always ask you this on certain fights. Look, you're Volkanovski, and maybe in the back of your mind you feel like as the rounds go on that you might might be winning, you might be having some momentum. All I know is that Holloway is not the, the larger opponent, but he's the taller opponent. And I just don't know why Volkanovsky, who was uh, versatile enough to be able to get his opponent on the mat, did not try. Just standing up there just getting tagged in the face or trying to box Holloway is one strategy. But if you feel like you need to get him on the mat for points, how come he just didn't do that? I, I always wonder about that. Like, you've got five rounds to work with, and you're still standing there just trading blows. At some point, you've got to take your guy down, get some points on the board.
2: Well, I agree with that, Jonathan, but also might be a case to where Volkanovsky might have thought, man, if I take this risk and try to get, you know, Max Holloway down on the ground and get him in a double leg takedown or a single leg takedown, I might leave myself exposed and really get cracked. Sometimes when guys get hit in early exchanges, they're a little bit shy to throw more combinations because they felt that sizzle and that heat from their opponent. They're like, man. He can really crack. Why do I want to leave myself exposed or take a chance like that? I don't think Volkanovsky was in a gambling man's mindset. And to be honest with you, maybe it paid off with the lack of confidence from the judges. But I agree, as you're thinking about it, why didn't Volkanovsky go to a plan B, plan C? Because maybe Max Holloway probably thwarted even a thought of him Go into that plan b because halfway was throwing some heat and landing some big shots on saturday night
0: yan claimed the ufc's bantamweight belt after a fifth round tko against uh, aldo uh again we talk about officiating why was the official slow to stop this fight if you i'll put it this way ray if you're beating my ass and i'm in the fetal position covering my head the fight's over like if I'm not responding in 10 to 15 to 30 seconds and you just continue to pound away and I'm not fighting back, uh, they would call this fight in the streets if it was on World Star. Why wasn't it called here in Abu Dhabi? Jonathan
2: Leon Roberts, the most egregious thing that happened on Saturday was the lack of professionalism from Leon Roberts to not step in and wave off the fight also. The corner of Aldo needs to be admonished for allowing their fighter to get cracked and pounded on for so many significant strikes. First and foremost, it falls on the referee. And Leon Roberts, I think, needs to be suspended for what his lack of professionalism inside the octagon. And I will say that and go with that statement wholeheartedly. And the corner of Aldo, your fighter's getting pounded into submission, and you've got to protect your fighter. If the referee's not going to do it, then you yourself as a cornerman, stop it. I'd rather have a fight stop too early than too late. And in this case, I think it may have damaged Jose Aldo, and that might be the final time we see Aldo competing at the extreme high elite level of mixed martial arts.
0: Ray, I thought coming into the Usman Masvidal fight that I was whatever happens, I was going to give Masvidal credit for just hanging in there. I mean, short notice, you get your weight at a, at a particular position, uh, and you're going to take on Usman, who's been training all this time, and here you come. So either way, I was going to be pleased by Masvidal and his effort. But you could tell that the gas tank was low, especially maybe going into round two, or maybe after round two. That was all from Masvidal
2: oh i agree with you jonathan you know what the fact that he had to jump on two or three planes to get himself to to yaz island in abu dhabi can you imagine mike brown mentioned this can you imagine what masvidal could do with six weeks to an eight-week training camp but again when the phone rings as you have always told me in my young career you told me <laughs> when the phone rings ray you pick it up masvidal picked up made a lot of money but he came up short. I think it just goes to show the tactical brilliance of Usman being able to transition from an opponent like Gilbert Burns to Masvidal. He got the win. He proved his dominance, but for Masvidal, he made weight. He was a professional and took it out like a champ, and I think Masvidal will be back and will once again fight for world championship gold even at the age of 35.
0: With equal rest, would you still favor Usman, or would you give Masvidal the edge?
2: I would favor Usman because, as I told you last week, Jonathan, Usman is the more complete fighter. But Masvidal is just so dangerous and powerful. But I think with more of a long, longer training camp, I think that Masvidal wasn't able to step on the gas in the championship rounds. And that's what he prides himself on. Usman was. Masvidal wasn't. That's what we got the result that it was. So in a fight where both guys have the exact same training camp, I'd be very curious. I'd still favor Usman, but you cannot count on Jorge Vidal at any point.
0: Ray, uh, lastly, um, is there anything else on the card that stood out to you uh, that was uh, in some of the prelims?
2: Jonathan, the the impressive performance to me was by Rose Namajunas to get back to you know what people have said it was championship form, getting the win over Jessica andraj I mean look it was uh, just a, a solid first run from from both combatants but you know I liked how nama Yuniz was able to implement you know the speed on her feet she got a split decision victory uh, Jessica andraj is former world champion so tough and durable both of them are former world champions but for Rose nama to eke out that victory against andraj I think spoke volumes and I think that Rose Namajunas has certainly once again propelled herself to prove that she is one of the best within the UFC women ranks.
0: My friend, as always, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed uh, watching the the bout uh, and and just the whole card, not just the main event, but the entire card, Ray, because... I give Dana White credit. I give the devil his due. During this pandemic, during this COVID-19, he stuck with his guns to be able to have um, you know, live sports. And I think he brought a lot of new eyeballs to his product uh, as we've been waiting for live sports to return. Here's UFC filling that gap. And you know what? They've done a nice job during this time since March.
2: Jonathan, they have done an excellent job. Dana White has been a proponent to make sure that combat sports are happening. And safe measures, everything seemed to go off well. And you know what? He got the payoff from the financial part of it with 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. And I am excited to see what the future has to hold, especially coming up this week with more fights emanating from Fight Island.
0: My friend, I appreciate your time. Let's do it again soon.
2: No doubt about it, Jonathan. Anytime you need me, I'm always here for you. Have a great one, my friend. And uh, say hello to the missus for me. I know she's enjoying her time and your lovely mansion in the moat and everything. Make sure to feed the crocodiles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the boat, yes, I forgot about that, yes. Ray Flores, our, our combat sports ex- expert, as we talk about UFC 251 right here on UTH.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN One
0: Thousand. Our thanks to you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN One Thousand, the ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to Ray Flores for being with us, Barrett Jones on the program as well. Show produced by Erica Strowski on the side of the glass. Don't forget tomorrow the baseball show at six o'clock, followed by Under the Hood at seven. We'll have summer of football. We'll take a look at the NFC North tomorrow, as well as Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you're a wrestling fan, tell them to check in at uh, 9.30 for a special guest. I'm sorry, 8.30 for a special guest for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. For Eric, I'm Jonathan. Let's do this tomorrow uh, at 6 o'clock with the baseball show, then under the
3: hood at 7 right here on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000.